welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. As you remain standing for the reading of the gospel this day, which comes from Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. I want to prepare you that the very last sentence I'm going to invite you to read along with me, and I'll gesture and indicate that for you. John the baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit, tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locust and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open and God's Spirit, looking like a dove, come down on him. And along with the Spirit, a voice, and let us speak together, You are my Son. Chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. Says the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace and your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love. All this in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. One of the amazing things about being a pastor in a small town, especially in the Methodist traditions, is that many places there's no doubt where the preacher lives because it's right next door to the church. Such is the case in Nocona, Texas. If you're ever traveling on Highway 82 between Henrietta and Gainesville, you'll come through the two stoplights in Nocona, Texas. Just below the water tower sits Nocona Methodist Church, and right next door in the exact same brick as the church is the parsonage. The beautiful thing about that location was that when we wanted to have a special outing as a family with two littles in elementary school, we would get up together and we would walk the one and a half blocks down to the Dairy Queen. <laughs> Occasionally, there would be calls from the Dairy Queen back to the pastor. You see, there, there was no Starbucks in the 1990s in Nocona, Texas. But what the guy who owned the Dairy Queen store would do is he would leave one of the soft serve machines going and put coffee out in the morning and only the door by the playground was open. And if you knew all the inside tracks, the gentleman would come in, get their coffee cup, pour about three quarters cup of hot, hot coffee, then go over to the soft serve right behind the counter 
and serve themselves a little ice cream right on top as heavy whipping cream. I got called down one day because there was a rather vibrant conversation between the missionary Baptist who was at the table and the Missouri Synod Lutheran. And they were talking about baptism. So I was well prepared because I once got caught between the United Methodist women and the trustees, and that's not an easy place to be, right? And I learned to survive that moment, so I went down. And the heated debate, heated debate, was about baptism. And finally, the gentleman from the Missionary Baptist kind of got fed up, and he said, Preacher, I was baptized just like Jesus was, and that's all there is to it. And I looked at him, I said, oh, you're Jewish. And he said, what? You don't know anything. You're a Methodist preacher. We don't unpack our understanding of baptism very well historically. And while there is a powerful and and a rich heritage of how the Christian tradition has utilized baptism, everything that we do in the Christian tradition is birthed from the Jewish roots. And that comes from the ritual practice of cleansing, preparing to see the coming of the Messiah. You go to the Holy Land today, that water from Yardinet, it's on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus wasn't baptized there. We're confident of that. The text already tells you in the NIV, the NASV, even the old King James, that John the Baptist was in the wilderness. That location would be about 17 miles south at a place called Khazar al-Yahud. It's actually, in the words of that country song, Baptize me, Lord, in those muddy waters to wash me clean. The water picks up the silt all the way coming down, and it really is, it kind of looks like the Red River around Gainesville. It's not real clear. But that's probably where Jesus met John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness. Why would people go out to the wilderness? They would go out to the wilderness because they heard of this prophet John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's message was one that it would not be really good for church growth. It was, repent, you heathens, and turn to God. I mean, wouldn't you love to open up your mail and see, come join us, you heathen, repent, turn to God, right? So part of our culture is we really try to what I call pottery barn and domesticate the faith because we want it to look more attractive. But the reality is the power of the gospel is not in its attractiveness, not in its way of not challenging us, not in the way that we try to domesticate it. The power of the gospel is in how it transforms us and moves us into Christ-likeness, where we look at our lives. Look, if John the Wesley were alive today, there wasn't a church that would have him. Because Wesley so emphasized that you would respond to the work of the Holy Spirit, be diligent in your discipleship, feeding the poor, reading your scripture, and he would show up on your door, and if you weren't showing up, he would call you and say, Mark Ward, where have you been, right? No excuses. And in fact, he was known for when people came up and hadn't been diligently practicing the faith, and he knew it, he'd say, can't have communion. You haven't been a good follower. Now, we don't practice that. We do an open table of communion. But the discipline and the call that Wesley places upon our lives as followers of Christ is something we need to hear echoing through the centuries and respond to anew. There's a book out right now 
called the Pope of War. It's really fascinating. The last couple of years, the Vatican has opened up some of the historical information. And whether it was the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, or the Eastern Orthodox Church, or the Protestant Church, there are so many places that the church during the time of the Nazi regime failed to step forward and speak. And what David Kurtzer does in his book is he goes into these archives of the Vatican and is able to take these historically previously restricted notes and it shows that Pope Pius XII was secretly trying to figure out how to negotiate, and he was in a horrible place. He lived under the reign of Mussolini in Italy. He's the head of the Catholic Church trying to provide his survival, balancing his care for, uh, and his silence of a voice for defense of the Jewish faith. But he actually had some meetings with the great-grandson of Queen Victoria to set up some conversations to negotiate. And as long as the Pope wouldn't speak against the Nazi regime, then the Nazi regime wouldn't come after the Roman Catholic Church. Now, that's not exclusively an issue with the Roman Catholic tradition. It is a part of the Orthodox traditions, the Protestant traditions. But friends, what's important to remember about this is that the aspect of what we think about in baptism is the church is forced into a moment when it has to decide what will it say no to as much as what it'll say yes to. In fact, if you look at the baptismal liturgy, it begins, do you reject the spiritual forces of wickedness and evil? Do you? I mean, that's the beginning. It's what you turn away from. Repentance is the turning. And today what we come to do is to touch the waters of our baptism and to remember that in this message translation that when we, when we respond, what echoes through our whole life is that amazing phrase, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter, chosen and marked by my love, you are the pride of my life. This is what is meant in the waters of baptism. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Now, a rather practical teaching. Um, I remember having a conversation with a, a Baptist friend, and I said, a friend, if I, uh, in your tradition, in what's known as a believer's baptism, one professes faith and then must be immersed completely. I said, if I'm baptized up to here, does it work? And he said, nope. I said, if I'm baptized up to here, does it work? Nope. I said, so it's got to go all the way to the top of the head? He said, yes. I said, that's where we start as Methodist. Couple of modes of baptism, and remember, this has nothing to do with eternity. Nothing to do with eternity. The thief on the cross was not baptized, right? This has to do with the way in which we understand God's claim upon our life and the way in which we choose to live and be reminded of responding to it. There are two primary modes of practice. One is known as a believer's baptism. You make the profession of faith in Christ. You accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, repent of your sin, and then therefore as an act of outward obedience, you are immersed as was Jesus. In fact, that is what happened in the Jewish faith. People were not sprinkled by John the Baptist. That's a biblical fact. 
The word in the Greek is true. It is baptizio. It means to put all the way under the water. That's a fact. We pick up in our tradition, where did the infant baptism come from? Biblically, we use the text that when the early church says clearly in Acts that whole households were baptized, it does not say that it excluded some and involved others. So the parallel that's made that comes out of the Roman Catholic, Anglican, and now the Methodist tradition is that there is a parallel between a baptism and a circumcision because they did not ask the eight-day-old little boy if he wanted to have circumcision as a mark of being a part of the Jewish community. That was an involuntary thing that happened. Most churches in text today, or next week, will be talking about that within the text that is Jesus is presented, and they couldn't even afford uh, the offering. They could only afford the poor offering of two, dove, two pigeons, basically doves. So this parallel is that why can we baptize infants if an infant can do nothing for him or herself? They can't make a profession of faith. They can't do anything. Here's what it represents for us. Baptism in our tradition represents the activity of God desiring a relationship. It isn't in response to a decision I've made. And this is not right or wrong, it's just different. Remember, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have four distinctive texts about one truth and reality. This is not about eternity, this is just about how churches understand themselves. So I can baptize an infant. Now why can I do that in the strength of this? I love my Methodist heritage, I am by birth and by choice a Methodist. If you can only baptize someone who can make the profession of faith, then what do you do about the person who may not be able to do so? Down syndrome, different mental and handicapping positions. And that is an entirely different outlier case. Within the believer's baptism tradition, they have something very parallel, and it's called a dedication. For us, no matter whether you're baptized, and by the way, I can baptize by sprinkling, pouring, immersing, dunking, holding you by your feet. I mean, I have baptized in jacuzzi, hot tubs, Baptist baptistries, Church of Christ baptistries, a tank at Sky Ranch that was called a lake, but it sure let a lingering smell on that kid, let me tell you. <laughs> because water in baptism is representative of God moving in that relationship, and what we expect is that there'll be a profession of faith in response to that. So to, to sort of oversimplify it, you make a profession of faith, then you show up with the water on the one side, you show up with the water and you expect a profession of faith on the other. Both have water, both have profession of faith. I mean, well, the bottom line is, in the words of Paul, do you profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you shall be saved. And we've wasted way too much water and way too much paper and way too much peaceful moments arguing about the right way to do communion and the right way to do baptism. Can you imagine what the world would be if in these differing understandings we just leaned into it and we realized that the churches aren't the enemy to each other. The enemy in the world is Satan, the work of evil. And we come alongside to do that, that work together. I baptized an 87-year-old in a wheelchair just weeks before his death. I baptized infants 
I've baptized children. Most recently, the joyous moment was in the backyard of one of our families in the pool where an elementary age and a high school age brother and sister, I had the incredible privilege of wading into the pool to do their immersion baptism. And that's an amazing and beautiful moment. So what we celebrate today is this. For those who have been baptized, maybe you've forgotten what it means. I've heard the old joke that, I don't know, preacher, you might want to go back, go back and baptize him again. The water didn't take, right? Or throw out the water after you baptized that one. No, no. Every one of us has some part of our life that doesn't fully reflect what we're called to be and become. And while you may have been baptized as an infant like I was, and I don't remember my moment of baptism, but I know that God has never forgotten. I choose to say yes again to God because my life is different, my choices have been different, but God's choices remain the same. He has loved me, He has been with me, and He desires an intimate relationship in my walk with Him in Christ. Today is about you renewing your yes to God. And if all that seems overly complicated, let me tell you how I do it in a children's sermon because sometimes when you have to do a children's sermon, you find out the most articulate way to express theology. Because you can't use big words that's confusing. It has to be simple. What if baptism, whether it's as an adult, an immersion, or an infant, or anything in between, what if baptism is like God reaching to embrace us in a hug and our profession of faith and response is our choice to hug back. There's no child that doesn't understand that. I'm walking to the park with my little two-year-old grandson, and he's running ahead because Grammy runs with him to the slide, and I get to push the stroller, and I don't like to run. He gets done, he gets close, and he turns around, and he goes, Pika! I say, David! And he gets this big grin. And he runs. What he'll do when he gets ready to run, he'll do this. Puts his head forward. <laughs> puts his shoulders and he does this. Now he's running to me. He's running to me, right? He's running to me. I set the stroller aside. And, and I reach before he ever gets to me, right? I mean, he, that, that strawberry blonde hair is in the breeze, that big smile. I'm reaching to him. I'm ready to embrace him because I want that relationship with him. And I catch him and I lift him up and then I hug him. That's the imagery of what it means in God's welcoming and loving you. And we all have forgotten that. I posted on my Facebook and also on the KUMC Online Facebook a song by... Um, Austin French called Jesus Can. When you first listen to this song, if you desire, don't get thrown away. He is a great artist. He put this song out last year, and it is a song that talks about, it begins off with a mellow rhythm, and then he sort of begins to do a speaking kind of rap. He says, picture this, an eight-year-old kid growing up in Georgia, having a hard time with the world that he was seeing, coming home from school, scared to death, and always wondering what kind of mood his dad would be in. That kind of home can do a number on you. My mom and dad broke up, and I guess I broke too. And then this amazing chord. I wish I could sing it. 
We can't play it right now because it violates FCC rules. I hate COVID, I hate COVID, I hate COVID. Because what it did is it eliminated with the live streaming our ability to simply let these moments speak. But please listen to these words and listen to this song. But who turns a broken dream, a broken dream into a life redeemed? Who can turn your worst defeat into your victory? Who saw me where I was and led me where I stand? My life is living proof that only Jesus can. Who turns a broken dream into a life redeemed? Who can turn your worst defeat into your victory? Who saw me where I was and let me where I stand? My life is living proof that only Jesus can. This is what we're doing today. Coming to the waters, hearing that you are my son, you are my daughter, marked by my love, you are the pride of my life. And then we choose to move into the world. And we know clearly what we're going to say no to and who we're going to say yes to. This is who we are. This is who we are called to be. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the witness of your word that invites us into a relationship. For a love that doesn't look at our past decisions in broken dreams. Or even some of the moments where we absolutely chose not to go to a place you were calling us. Thank you for the incredible gift of forgiveness that is waiting for each of us. And that as we move through this powerful liturgy reminds us that you are a God who calls us to the shore of the running water to surrender and give our life. And then in those moments, to not forget, to remember today your claim upon our life and the waters of our baptism. So help us bring who we are fully to you this day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.